Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Very good evening and welcome to another edition of Questions and Answers Q&A where we take your questions and inshallah Sheikh Ibrahim was tries his utmost to answer your question. I think ultimately it is up to you. It's your responsibility to still go and seek the answer. I'm Khawa Salomon and in studio again welcoming Sheikh Ibrahim was answering your questions. Remember Sheikh is um, out at the Yusufia Masjid in Weinberg and do host regular classes. Assalamu alaikum. To your honorable self and also to our listeners. Okay, so Sheikh, I believe the classes is up and running. So there's been lots of questions around that. Just give us uh, quickly a rundown of the uh, the weekly classes that uh, the mosques do host. Yes, Alhamdulillah. Now the first week of February uh, marked the beginning of uh, the classes for 2018. So we have uh, ladies' classes in the in the mornings. Uh, on a Monday morning and on a Wednesday morning and these classes are conducted by my wife um, the Monday morning is a recital class uh, Quran and Tajweed and I think they do a bit of tafsir as well and the Wednesday class is a, a fiqh and history class mm-hmm. uh, and that is for ladies only uh, and then uh, in the evenings we of course also have classes uh, particularly on a Wednesday evening, we have an open uh, general class where mm-hmm. we discuss fiqh and hadith. And then we also have some smaller classes. Uh, on a Tuesday night, I've got a hajj class as well. But that is not at the masjid, but at my residence. Um, and and those are there are some smaller classes as well, but those are the major ones that are running at the moment. Then on a Tuesday evening as well, sorry, I forgot, a Tuesday evening at the masjid, uh, we also have a recital class for both youth and adults. Um, so it is okay. a good opportunity to catch up with your reciting, to improve your recitation of the Quran, your tajweed and stuff like that. That's on a Tuesday evening, inshallah. Jazakallah, Sheikh, for that update. So anybody who didn't catch that, please call our office number 021-442-3500. And just to note, Sheikh's masjid is at the bus taxi terminus, which is behind the train station in Weinberg, Yusufia Masjid. Okay, so Sheikh, we'll get right into the questions as everybody awaits their answers eagerly. Um, as I said, uh, please find out in your area as well where there are um, Islamic classes hosted uh, by the masajids or individuals. Sheikh, how am I expected to meet a husband if my parents are overbearing and won't allow me to go out? They expect me to go to work and come home. Um, they have a problem when I wish to go out with my friends. There is no reasoning with them as their first responses is that we are rude and ungrateful. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in. I think yes, uh, sometimes parents are overprotective. Um, and obviously they've got good reason for that because of uh, what is happening on, in the outside world. So parents can sometimes be uh, very much overprotective of their children. I think you must realize that they are your parents and uh, they have your interest at heart. And if they are out of line with regards to how they are treating you, then it's best that you do not yourself engage with them because uh, you you are the child and they are the parents. And so it is best for you to... Um, firstly have patience with him and uh, get someone perhaps an elder in the family to 
uh, sit down and speak uh, with your parents if there are indeed issues you know that uh, that needs to be addressed uh, with regards to you saying that they, they they don't allow you to go out so how are you going to uh, meet your husband your future husband of course we know that uh, you know Allah Ta'ala has uh, decreed for us whatever is going to come our way um, in the khutbah of the nikah normally when a nikah is conducted the imam whoever is present would normally recite uh, in the sermon and he would, would say وَلَا يَجْتَمِعُ اثْنَانُ وَلَا يَفْتَرِقَانُ إِلَّا بِقَضَاءٍ وَقَدَرٍ that uh, two people will not come together and people will not separate from one another except if that was the decree of Allah Ta'ala so obviously if uh, Allah had decreed for you to have a partner you will meet that partner in one way or the other um, Allah Ta'ala will send him to you or you will find him or you will meet him in a way that perhaps you can't think of now but uh, that is uh, what will happen because Allah Ta'ala has got a plan for all of us but with regards to you saying that your father doesn't want you to go out and stuff like that as I said this is generally something that parents do they protect their children they want to protect them and uh, if you have issues as I mentioned uh, don't you stand up against your parents rather have patience make dua for them rather try to still obviously uh, treat them with the utmost uh, of respect uh, and then rather speak to an elder in your family and they can perhaps uh, relay the message in a subtle way with wisdom without uh, without offending your parents without causing any further issues between yourself and and your parents and in the meantime you you have patience and make dua that Allah must change the conditions uh, for the better inshallah if it is uh, good for you to to meet someone as I said Allah will send that person to you uh, any case uh, that is how the decree of Allah Ta'ala works Jazakallah another parent um, child question Sheikh Salam Sheikh how do my parents expect my siblings and I to show love and compassion to them when they have never showed us any love not celebrating our birthdays nor being generally compassionate or complimentary to us they keep preaching Islam but have never had the compassion of our Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam I find it difficult to show them love since they have never showed us love and I find it difficult having to explain our unloving family dynamics to a potential spouse Interesting. Yeah, again, it's a very similar question. Mm. And, uh, you know, when it comes to parents, I normally am very cautious um, because it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's a sacred thing, you know, that we're speaking about, a relationship which Allah Ta'ala had sanctified and made sacred. Mm. So when I speak about parents, I normally uh, handle an, an issue like this with kids' gloves, as, mm. as they call it. Because the parents, uh, they are your parents. And yes, uh, I do understand that not all parents are exemplary parents. There may be parents that do not set a good example for their children. And in this case, uh, if it's true, uh, they perhaps are preaching or they're telling them what to do, telling them about Islam, but they themselves are not living that life. So yes, it, it can become difficult for a child to deal with this. But I think that you should, uh, you know, break the cycle. Break the cycle of bad uh, attitudes or bad habits or not showing compassion you should break that cycle mm. and show them continuous compassion regardless of what they are doing in return because as I mentioned many times before you you don't do this because of your own to satisfy your own ego mm. or your own self you're doing it to satisfy and to please Allah and once you have that goal in mind then you will find that you always have the energy to do the right thing mm. um, and the verse that I often quote to justify my answer is a verse in chapter 31 uh, verse 15 Surah Luqman where Allah Ta'ala speaks about the parents and Allah Ta'ala says وَإِن جَاهَدَاكَ عَلَىٰ أَن تُشْرِكَ بِي مَا لَيْسَ لَكَ بِهِ عِلْمِ 
And if your two parents go out of their way to force you to become a mushrik, uh, they want you to ascribe partners to Allah. So what must you do in that case? Allah says you shouldn't obey them, obviously. You're not allowed to obey them because you can't obey any creation of Allah if it's going to lead to the disobedience of the Creator. Okay, that is not allowed. So Allah says don't obey them. If they tell you to make shirk or to become kafir or to not make salah or to not give zakah or they tell you wrong things, mm. then you don't obey them in the wrong that they are telling you. But look at what Allah says after this. وَصَاحِبَهُمَا فِي الدُّنْيَا مَعْرُوفًا Be that as it may, even if they tell you to make shirk, you should still try to accompany them in this dunya with righteousness and goodness. Mm. Try to live with them in, in goodness. Because uh, they are your parents and perhaps through your good uh, good gestures towards them mm. maybe they will also change you know you will be the sabab and the cause that they would have also changed so yes I can understand it's uh, perhaps not easy uh, but uh, inshallah Allah Ta'ala make it easy for you to, to carry out this particular duty towards your parents and you show the compassion that the Prophet ﷺ had taught us and hopefully it will have an impact on the hearts of your parents inshallah inshallah all the best to those uh, th that family that siblings and if i could just add something i think Sheikh, when when people are that close to you and you can't change them or you can't make a change the best is then to change within yourself and to ask allah to help you with that and i think something that the old people always used to learn that you kill people with kindness and inshallah Correct, they yes. will come back to you i mean inshallah yeah. so all the best to that to all children and families that struggle with the relationships inshallah when we get back um sheikh a question around um and what the criteria is with regards to the dress code and then somebody wanting to know about wudu and ghusl more after this stay with us Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Welcome back to Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas every Saturday between 6 and 7 p.m. I know there is a bit of a change when it does come to the month of Ramadan, but inshallah we try and bring you the show weekly. And of course, if you've missed any of the answers um, on the show, if you have posed one, please just direct it to our producer or contact reception during office hours 021 um, or unless if you want to send us your question do so on our SMS line 47913 that's 47913 our fax line is also open on 021 or you could drop it here at Queen's Park Avenue in Salt River so Sheikh the next one reads Assalamu Alaikum I'd like to know if a woman is anaida, um, is she allowed to only wear black and is that the dress code uh, Shukran no, not at all. Uh, there is no basis for saying that a woman should only wear black clothing when she is under Idda. Uh, she is in a state of mourning, yes, uh, and she should not obviously beautify herself excessively. Uh, she should wear uh, clothing that is uh, not going to attract any attention, etc. But there is no prescription that it must be black in color. Uh, we, when we look at the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, famous hadith that is in Bukhari, in Muslim, in the Musnad of Imam Ahmad, in many other books of hadith, the Prophet ﷺ had mentioned and he said, لا يحل لمرأة تؤمن بالله واليوم الآخر تحد على ميت فوق ثلاث إلا على زوج. It is not permissible for a woman who believes in Allah in the last day to mourn over any dead person for longer than three days, except for her husband. 
for the husband, she is allowed to mourn longer than that. Uh, and of course, uh, we know the idda period is four months and ten days. فَإِنَّهَا So the Nabi then gives uh, some examples of the behavior of such a woman and what she should do when she is in this mourning period, a woman that lost her husband. فَإِنَّهَا لَا تَتَّحِلُ She should not apply kuhal to the eyes, which obviously the black uh, mascara or things like that. وَلَا تَلْبَسُ ثَوْبًا مَصْبُوغًا And she should not wear uh, clothing that, uh, that is scented, uh, you know, that has a strong fragrance. Uh, and she should not also apply perfume that is uh, strong smelling, uh, etc. So here we find the Prophet giving general guidelines as to her not beautifying herself while, while she is uh, under idda. In another version of this hadith, the Prophet had also said that she should not wear al-huli. Uh, she should not wear any jewelry or you know, uh, beautify herself with, with jewel, jewelry and accessories. And she should not also dye her hair. She should not also um, put uh, mascara. Again, the kuhl is also mentioned in this uh, riwayah. We'll find that in all these ahadith, the Prophet does not prescribe what color the clothing must be. So uh, wearing black particularly is not a prescrip- uh, prescription of the sharia, uh, but it's more a customary thing that people do. So whether you wear black or whether you don't wear black, uh, it makes no difference. Uh, but the idea is that a, a woman does not over-beautify herself excessively with jewelry, with uh, makeup and things like that, because she is in her waiting period or idda, as it were, for her husband. So no, there is no prescription as far as the black is concerned. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Hawa, shukran wa alaikum salam, hope you are well. I would like to know if it is necessary to take wudu either before or after each time I ghusl, uh, be it a farud or sunnah ghusl, or can I just take uh, a ghusl without taking wudu? Please clarify, Sheikh. Yeah, the uh, uh, sunnah is, of course, the sunnah is when a person takes a ghusl to actually take a wudu before the ghusl, right? That is the sunnah, it's the mm. recommended practice. So when we say recommended practice, obviously it means it's, it's not a must to do that. You can simply take your ghusl. And if it's a fard ghusl, of course, uh, then it can also entail the hudu at the same time. If it is a fard ghusl. But if it's a sunnah ghusl, then of course you will have to take hudu afterwards. Uh, but in, in either case, it is always sunnah to take a hudu before a person takes uh, his or her ghusl. Hmm. This is how the Prophet ﷺ had done it. But uh, should you uh, not do that, should you not take the, ghusl, uh, the, the hudu before ghusl, then your ghusl will still be correct. Of course, uh, taking into consideration that you did the ghusl properly, uh, where the entire body is washed from uh, top to bottom, no parts of the body should be left out, um, etc. If that is done and you have an intention for ghusl, then your ghusl will be correct, even if there was no hudu prior to it. And then repeating the the body parts three times that is sunnah of course. Of course, uh, for any for any hudu, uh, uh, repeating uh, the body parts three times is mm. uh, only a sunnah, not a must. Okay. And especially in our times where there is a shortage of water, one should try to stick to the minimal and do whatever one can. Uh, you know, uh, saving as much water as one possibly is able to. And encouraging using maybe the water bottle yeah. <laughs> to, to take water, Yes, yes. <laughs> We're trying uh, to implement, implement that yeah, in our answer. Definitely, but uh, one, one should just be careful that when we use water bottles or we use spray cans and stuff yeah. like that, that we do wash our arms and our face and our, our body parts properly. And with, with clean water with, every with time. clean water when we take yeah. wudu uh, you know it must be clean water and also the way that we do it you, you should make sure that the body parts are thoroughly covered. washed yeah. and thoroughly uh, covered you know so, uh, sometimes you spray little bit only mm. and you just lightly rub over your limbs not that enough, is not yeah. going to be sufficient mm. you must actually wash your limbs it mm. must actually be uh, droplets of water that is being washed over your limbs you know, so not so just wiping it over. It's not wiping, though. No. Rubbing it almost. If you just wipe it over with wet hands, that is not sufficient.
operation. Okay. You must actually wash the limb. So, yeah. And, and mm. yes, if you do it like that, you can still save a lot of water. It doesn't mean you no, need no, to yeah. use a lot of water, mm. but one must just be careful uh, not to fall short of the minimal requirements when taking a hudu. Absolutely. Shukran, Jeff, for adding that. Are Muslims allowed to take out funeral policies? This is a question that has come through Q&A before, Sheikh. So uh, maybe Sheikh can just uh, clarify a little bit. Uh, they're saying with regards to their family members, these policies claim to pay out a small amount, amount upon the death um, of a person. Either I would like to add, if you are in business with someone, Sheikh, what happens in that case if your business partners request you also to take out some sort of life policy? Yeah, of course, uh, there's two issues here. You're talking okay. about the life policy and the funeral policy. That those are two totally separate okay. issues. But uh, in terms of uh, the concept, actually, it's the same. Mm -hmm. So both the funeral policy and the life policy is the conventional one we're talking about. Is obviously a way in which uh, you pay premiums. Mm -hmm. They take premiums from you and they invest it. In, okay. in various things and then they pay you out uh, so obviously the issue here would be firstly you are paying those premiums uh, uh, where are they investing that money into okay. right a lot of times the conventional uh, companies they do not invest it in uh, businesses or in places which is halal for you mm -hmm. so they may they may invest it in haram like uh, gambling like whatever other like uh, liquor for example or anything that is not compliant with the Sharia mm -hmm. so you're not allowed to then trade in that because whatever you have obviously then gained in access to what you have paid in as premiums mm. you the source of that is obviously highly doubtful uh, yeah. which would make it problematic for you to to accept however uh, if that were the case then of course your premiums that you had paid in that remains yours that is always yours so if, if you can calculate how much you paid them oh, in okay. so whatever they pay you Only back that, the yeah. actual amount that you had uh, obviously put in and that is okay that is fine mm. uh, and also if you know that uh, it's a uh, profits that are coming from halal sources if that can be guaranteed 100% that you know that if there's profit on top of what you had put in and it's all halal above board no riba no interest and stuff like that then that could also be considered right uh, so for life uh, insurance policy the same thing uh, and generally speaking life insurance policy most of scholars most of the scholars are not in favor of it uh, simply because it's uh, once again I mean you, you take out a policy and it's like a gamble situation you know uh, if something should happen if it shouldn't happen they would pay out not pay out etc mm. and also where they invest in and all this so, so it's highly highly problematic yeah, but if yeah. you for example um, save uh, your money in a okay. particular like the Kifayt clubs used to do mm. it you know they just take your money and they save it for you um, and uh, when you pass on they would then have used the money that you paid in you know for the kafan for whatever then inshallah if the amount is exactly what you paid in mm. and there's no uh, dubious uh, act transactions that have taken place then that kind of saving scheme would obviously be allowed uh, in order to assist you for covering the funeral expenses but i know the conventional ones funeral policies they deal in interest they deal in all sorts of things which is not compliant for us mm. as, as muslims Jazakallah, Sheikh. We uh, need to take a break. When we come back, uh, another question around pension funds, something about being pregnant um, and uh, walking away from a marriage. But of course, we take your more of your questions on 47913. Back in a moment. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouis. Assalamu alaikum and welcome back to Questions and Answers. I'm Khawa Solomon in studio Sheikh Ibrahim Was. So, uh, Sheikh, shukran so much for that answer with regards to the funeral policy. There is something similar. Um, this question refers to a pension fund. What about the monies that get paid out by a pension fund to a wife of a husband who has passed on? Is she allowed to accept this money, Sheikh? 
Yeah, there's been various approaches as far as uh, the pension fund is concerned. Um, again, we know that whatever money he has paid in to that particular policy is obviously his money, right? Yeah. Uh, there's no doubt about it. It's like a savings money that he saved up. So that money definitely must go into the estate as such. So whatever premiums he paid over, let's say, 10 years, uh, that amount should definitely be part of the estate because it is money that he paid in which he actually owned uh, as part of his asset, assets. As for the rest of the money that is paid out, now here comes a bit of difference. Where does that money fit into? Because normally it is made out uh, to someone or a particular member of the family. So do we consider that to be part of the estate, yes or no? And can, can it be accepted, yes or no? And there have been scholars that said that uh, this seems to be uh, something whereby the company pays out uh, that amount of money to the family members, right, of the person who passed away. And uh, it's almost like a gift that is given to them uh, over and beyond the premiums that he put in. Um, so if, if if we take that particular approach, then uh, certainly uh, you know the, the the mother and whoever else the policy is made out to can accept that money, and it doesn't have to go into the estate as such because uh, um, it wasn't really part of the ownership or uh, of the assets of the husband who passed away, but what he owned was only the premiums. Okay, um, and then obviously the issue of uh, what we mentioned just before this will also surface here. Uh, we must also be careful that those pension funds, wherever they had invested in, did they invest in haram? Did they invest in halal? Where did the profits come from? You know, so so if it is uh, dubious funds, again one must be weary as far as that is concerned, because we as Muslims we at all times try to stay clear from any funds that. Uh, so or sources uh, we cannot verify or not sure of hmm. whether it is halal or whether it is haram because what we eat what we consume if it's halal it will have a certain effect on us if it's haram it will also have a certain effect hmm. on us and that is why we are very careful as muslims you know uh, what we eat and what we consume so one should do our, our own little investigation before we just accept these monies mm. uh, to find out where it comes from. And if it is from a dubious source, then it's best to get rid of it, you know, mm. to make sadaqah with it and give it to the poor instead of using it for your own personal needs. So, Sheikh, uh, sometimes in pension funds or sort of policies, you contribute a certain percentage and then sometimes the company also puts in that amount. Are you then um, able to accept the monies that the companies also put in without the insurance? Yes, I mean, definitely. Sorry, uh, that seems to be for me uh, also uh, resembling a gift which okay. the company gives to you. So it's like a gift, accepting a gift, you know. Mm. So, yes, you are, you are allowed to accept that. Um, and uh, there should be no problem because the company normally uh, it's as if they, they are paying your salary plus extra they're okay. giving you something extra over and beyond your salary okay. and so that should be uh, above board inshallah Jazakallah Sheikh uh, for answering that question so the next one reads my mother has left her estate only to my brother in her will we and there are two other siblings um, her will does not state anything about these other siblings. Is this now according to Sharia, Sheikh? And what can we do? We all live in harmony and have no issues with each other. Um, and also, if my brother does decide to sell the estate, how much should it then be divided up into? Yeah, of course, uh, the will is definitely not according to Sharia. If it was only made out to one sibling and the others were excluded, then it's definitely not Sharia because Sharia dictates that uh, all children should inherit. Unless, of course, there is a, a prevention for them to inherit. 
And all the preventions is if, the, if let's say, the siblings had become murtad, for example, they had changed their deen, or let's say they, they murdered the person who they're supposed to inherit from, hmm. then of course they won't get in that case. But in ordinary circumstances, uh, the sibling should all inherit. So in this case, if the will is stated like that, then unfortunately, for, uh, in a sort of uh, legal South African context, there's nothing you can do about it because that will will obviously take effect. And the masters will consider that particular will. Okay. Uh, but what can be done amongst the family members is, especially the one that inherited the everything, uh, just to clear his conscience and to do the right thing, mm. it is then possible for them once uh, uh, distribution had taken place uh, from the masters, it is then best for them to redistribute. In okay. other words, to sell the property or do whatever and give portions uh, that is uh, legally that should legally be given to the other siblings as well. So in other words, it's like an internal arrangement that you make after... Uh, after the thing had been signed off at the masters, okay. you do your own internal distribution that is according to the Sharia, because definitely your siblings must also inherit, even though your uh, your father or your mother or whatever it is did not state uh, that they should inherit. They've got no right to to bar anybody from the inheritance. This okay. is somebody that Allah Taala has given as a God-given right. Hmm. So in the case where there's three siblings, so obviously if there are three brothers, then it will be split equally, right? Uh, the estate will be split uh, equally amongst all three brothers. If it is uh, daughters and, and sons, so brothers and sisters, mm. then in that case, obviously, the brothers will get a double share and the sisters will get a single share. Mm. So depending how many of them, just as a scenario, let's say there's two brothers and one sister. Mm. And in this case, obviously, we will divide the estate into five portions, Kay. right? Into five portions. So obviously, the two brothers each will get two out of the five. And the sister will get one out of the five, hmm. which makes it uh, exactly the five portions. Uh, if they are all males, as I said, they will all get an equal share. Jazakallah, Sheikh. Now, uh, can a wife walk away from a marriage while she is pregnant? Yeah, of course, it's uh, definitely not ideal. I mean, to walk uh, out of a marriage while you are in that state. Obviously, you are in a state where you are much in need of your husband's support and, and things like that. So it's not, it's not obviously a very good decision to do that. But uh, one does not know uh, the circumstances, obviously, the, the background why a person has walked out. Mm. Let's say she walked out because uh, of fearing her life. Let's say she's in danger. Mm. And this may well be the case. Let's say the husband is a drug addict and he has abused her before physically. And she's actually afraid that he may do something that will take her to life, harm her, yeah. that will harm her, mm. etc. Then, of course, it will be best for her to leave, you know, to even if she's pregnant, it will be best for her to uh, get out of this marriage, to seek for a fasakh, etc. And of course, either way, if she gets a fasakh or if he divorces her, she will go on the idda, and the idda period will be for the entire time that she's pregnant. Hmm. Okay, and once she gives birth, the idda will be, will be over. However, if the case is not as serious as that, let's say they just had some arguments and some disagreements, then obviously it is not, uh, it is not uh, advisable for her to walk out on the marriage in that state hmm. because she's now more in need of support than any other time. So it's best for her to try and work out and resolve these differences uh, if she is able to and to have patience and uh, hopefully you know they will come to some kind of solution. Hmm. And uh, what we found uh, very often is that when uh, a couple has these kind of problems, uh, inshallah, hopefully when a child comes along, then uh, the, the problem sort of also settle down and uh, sort of Inshallah. move to the wayside because the child is now the bonding force between the husband and wife. Mm. That is often what we see. You know, they may have uh, lots of disagreements, but inshallah, the child normally, when the child comes, uh, you know, now they have a common interest. Uh, they both want to look after the child, rear their child, etc. Um, and so hopefully that will be the case. Uh, as Inshallah. I said, uh, if, if this woman feels that the, the issues are not as 
drastic as I've mentioned in the first scenario, then it's best for her to wait, you know, and try to resolve things rather than to walk out of the marriage or to seek a talaq or to seek a, a fasakh. It would be better for her to wait rather than uh, obviously walk out, inshallah ta'ala. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. My Ukhti's husband, I'm her niece, does he break my hudu? Also, the teenage boys and grandsons of my sister in law from my husband's side. Yeah, it's uh, just interesting the, the, the words that are used. Uh, mm. She says, my Ukhti's husband. The word Ukhti actually means sister. Yes. But she says, it's I'm her niece. So it's not your sister, but it's really your auntie. Auntie, yes. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so in our Cape Town terminology, you would have said khalati, you know, yes. amati. Okay. That would be rather the term for aunt. But be that as it may, okay. if it is your auntie's husband, and I think this is the question, your auntie's husband. Obviously, your auntie's husband is not your uncle. Yeah, <laughs> this not is like a blank, uh, blood uncle. Not yeah. a blood uncle, mm. because this is often how we kind of just l- casually uh, look at it. Yeah. Uh, like my auntie's husband is my uncle, and my uncle's wife is my auntie. Mm. But in, real, in rea- reality, they are not. You know, they are nothing of you. Uh, in fact, they are marriageable to you. Uh, if let's say your uncle passes away, you are allowed to marry his wife, for yeah. example, in the future. So no, your your auntie's husband is not your uncle, so he breaks your hudu. Mm-hmm. He will invalidate your hudu. Uh, and also uh, with regards to teenage boys, yes, if they are mukallaf, any teenage boys, they will break your hudu, even if they are only 12 years old or 13 years old. If they have reached the age of puberty, then of course, uh, you know, they do break your hudu. And uh, lastly, uh, if I understand it correctly, you are saying grandsons of my sister-in-law. Uh, so what I understand is it's your husband's sister's grandsons. Uh, again, your, your, your husband's sister, obviously, is your sister-in-law. Uh, so her grandchildren is nothing of you, right? They are not related to you in any mm. way. Okay, so again, they will break your hudu. Uh, and finally, uh, if you want to read up more on uh, relationships, you know, that you, uh, that, that you can clearly say will not break your hudu, then you should read Surah An-Nisa, chapter 4, verse 23 and 24. And in there, Allah Ta'ala lists a number of people that you can comfortably say, these people are my blood relations, I can never get married to them, and they will not break my hudu. So, wherever people you don't find in those categories mentioned there, then most likely they are people that will break your hudu. So that is just a reference for you. Surah An-Nisa chapter 4 verse 23 and 24. But on all three accounts, uh, question that, that you've asked, all those three categories of people do in fact break your hudu. Jazakallah, Sheikh. So I'm going to read the next uh, question as is, uh, and I hope it's, 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 uh, it's clear to Sheikh. Salam, Imam, I don't speak to my in-laws because they are un sharia towards me and uh, lift their hands and threaten me wherever I go. They, they will hurt me. Can I talak my wife because I'm living unhappy as a young man? On top of it, my in-laws' parents um, influence her to not listen to me as well. Yeah, I also try to figure out what the... Uh the term of Sharia was here, yeah. but what I understood from it is, uh, it's like no, a non-Sharia. Yeah, non-Sharia. Mm-hmm. It's like the parents, my in-laws, are treating me with un-Sharia laws, like yeah. not Sharia laws, like they're treating me with laws that is uh, 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 oppressive and stuff like that. Mm. So obviously, if you if you in a relationship where uh, you and your wife, and it's quite sad sometimes to see this, where yeah. husband and wife don't really have big issues. But it's sometimes the families, mm. right? Either his family or her family, they cause the issues. Uh, so obviously, uh, wha- what you are going to try uh, your best to do is to to be independent from her family and from your family, because that is what marriage is. You should try to build your own family, 
Okay, and I think this often happens if you are living in the house of your in-laws, hmm. yeah, because obviously you're living under their roof and it's their rules. It's uh, uh, very comfortable for them to treat you if uh, what in any way they want to treat you, and obviously uh, you know you're not really independent in that way. Hmm. So I would say you should try uh, at all costs, firstly to become dependent from your family and from hers. Try to rent even if it's a small place on your own, and inshallah. Hopefully, in that way, there will be less influence mm. on your marriage. You know, less. And if you feel that you've done all of that, you've tried all those avenues, but yet you feel uh, afraid because you say they threaten you, and wherever you go, you're afraid that they will hurt you and mm. stuff. So, if you really feel that, you know, it's as bad as you are describing it, it to be, then uh, you can either get a restrain, you know, restraining order, or you know, go to the police, or whatever. You could follow those avenues. But finally, if you feel that all of that is not really going to help and it's just too much because your question ultimately is, can you divorce your wife under these circumstances? Yeah. And yes, the answer is if that is the only viable option out for you, you've tried everything, nothing is possible any longer, mm. then remember talaq and divorce as uh, bad as it is in terms of breaking up a family, it is ultimately a solution. Mm. It's maybe not the best solution, but it is ultimately a solution. So uh, if that is the only way for you to find contentment in your life, then yes, it is halal for you to divorce her. But I would say again, you should expedite all avenues before you come to the conclusion for talaq. Mm. As I said, try to be independent, try to come away from that. Try Because people have different cultures. When you live in a house with, with other people, they have a different understanding of what is good and what is not. And uh, your in-laws may be taking advantage of the fact that you're living there, so you've got nothing to say. You should just listen to what they mm. say and just ob- abide by their rules. And that may be difficult. That may be not as easy if you're coming from a different background. So if you've tried uh, all those avenues, I think you should expedite all the different avenues. But if at the end of all of that, you really cannot see yourself living like that because it will always haunt you, mm. then of course talaq is an option. It is halal. Uh, in other words, you won't be punished if you do it if it is a solution that you are following as a last resort. But inshallah, we hope it doesn't come to that. We hope uh, there will be some other kind of way that you can resolve your issues, inshallah. Jazakallah. When we get back, inshallah, we ask uh, some question uh, posed to us by Revert. Somebody wants some clarity on the Aida period, inshallah. But more after the short break, please continue sending us your SMSs on 47913. Our fax line is open as well, 021-4477-271. And those listening to across the lands and over the seas, they can link up with us via our email and our Facebook page called The Voice of the Cape. This is Questions Answers. We'll be back in a moment. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Questions and Answers. This is Q&A on a Saturday, every Saturday between 6 and 7 o'clock for that hour on a Saturday, alhamdulillah, with the rest of this 365 days of the year. Um, we have Sheikh available to us, so Jazakallah Sheikh, and of course uh, Sheikh's family for accommodating us and the listeners um, with the beautiful answers and of course uh, um, very well researched as well. So if you have any uh, questions, please do pose them on our question and answer platform via our SMS, our fax line, our office number is open, or you can make contact with Yasmina Peterson. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh Imam. I embraced Islam not too long ago, alhamdulillah, and unfortunately made a girl pregnant. She's 10 weeks, and we want to get married. Her parents agreed after some time, but my parents, who was against me becoming Muslim, does not want to go with me 
to see the girl's parents, neither do they want to give their blessings. What do I do now? Note I became Muslim before being interested in this girl and didn't embrace Islam for a girl, but because after some research, I felt that that is what I want to do. And my parents gave me a choice, either leave Islam or move out. And I moved out because I wanted to be with Islam. Alhamdulillah, uh, I think I, I would want to congratulate you for your patience and your steadfastness and for your honesty. And uh, we make dua that Allah Ta'ala keeps you steadfast on the deen of Islam. And uh, you mentioned that you made a mistake, obviously, by uh, impregnating this particular woman. So she's pregnant of your child and you're not married. So you must realize that this is something that is uh, a sin in Islam. And so I would advise you simultaneously to repent, you know, from this particular sin. Ask Allah to forgive you because, uh, you know, you have to own up for, for, your, for your shortcomings if you want to get the mercy of Allah and you, if you want Allah's blessings uh, in your life. So that is firstly what I, I would want to tell you that, you know, uh, and Allah is most forgiving. You know, one should make tawbah and should uh, repent and you will find that Allah Ta'ala will accept you in any circumstance as long as you are uh, committed to acknowledge your, your shortcomings and committed to change your life. Uh, and inshallah, we hope Allah keeps you uh, on the straight path, inshallah. And then with regards to the, the parents, uh, I think uh, what is in your favor is that the girl's parents have agreed to this marriage. And that is merely the, the most important, that is the most important part that you are going to have to uh, deal with is the girl's parents. So if, if, she's okay, if they are okay with you getting married to their daughter, uh, then of course that is all that you need really because they need, you need their consent uh, to get married to their daughter. It would be nice also to get your own parents' consent and to get their blessings as well. Mm. That would be obviously be a big plus. But if they refuse to, based on the fact that you became Muslim, then obviously you should proceed and then not uh, worry too much about their consent for now. Because obviously they feel very much perhaps uh, alienated from you, seeing that you had taken a very drastic step in your life. So you can go ahead. You don't need, obviously, your own parents' consent to get married, as long as you have the consent of your future wife's uh, parents. Um, so uh, maybe, I think, as a revert, you may be worried. So who should I then take to go and ask and all of that? Uh, because normally it's the father that go, you know, your own father or your own parents would go and ask. So in this case, you can take a friend along, you can take an imam along, you can take anybody along to go and ask this girl's parents officially to get married to her. And uh, you don't need the consent of your parents. And inshallah, hopefully, if uh, they give their consent, uh, this is your fiancé or your future wife's uh, parents, you can get married like that, inshallah. And hopefully you will, you know, be able to live a good life as a Muslim Amen. and uh, because I know it's very challenging for Ebert sometimes yeah. you know they get completely ostracized they get completely mm. you know shunned by their families and I hope also at the same time that there will be Muslims in your community that can support you Amen. that can at least be there for you you know for whatever difficulties you are going through uh, we as a Muslim community we, we should look after our Ebert's in this mm. way as well and give them the necessary support structures that they are that they are in need of all the best to this individual and don't hesitate if you need any more advice or direction or any information on where you can go and get um, more research and um, I think to learn more about Islam as well. Call us because sometimes it's not always, you know, the, the right people. So um, Google is not a very good friend sometimes, but um, please do do not hesitate to contact us during office hours 021-442-3500. Uh, shukran, Sheikh, for that, uh, that answer. Let's move on to the next one. Assalamu alaikum to all on board. Please advise on Aida Pirit Sheikh as I want to be sure if my calculations are correct. Four months and ten days has been passed on the 18th of January and that Janaza was on the same day. 
Yeah, so obviously four months and ten days, you are quite good at it. So uh, four months and ten days, obviously we are looking at lunar months and not uh, solar months. So uh, you should calculate it at uh, exactly 130 days, inshallah. So count 130 days from the day that your husband passed away. We don't take uh, into consideration the day that he was buried or janazah, but we rather take the day when he was, uh, when he actually passed away. So from that day onwards, you count 130 days, and exactly after 130 days, your idda will obviously be over. You will be able to remarry, you will be able to carry on with your life, inshallah ta'ala. Jazakallah. Um, Assalamu alaikum, Imam. Can, when can akhika be performed for a girl and a boy? Um, can it be performed at uh, Eid al-Adha, and who can the meat be distributed of that akhika? Yeah, of course, uh, akhika for a boy or a girl can be done at any given time. Um, of course, the sunnah is to do it uh, close after the birth of the child, uh, on the seventh day if possible. Uh, and of course, on, on the seventh day? Yes, okay. on the seventh day if possible. And then uh, also the sunnah is uh, to slaughter two sheep for a boy and one for a girl. And uh, how do we distribute it? We distribute uh, it like we would do uh, at Eid al-Adha. Although there are some scholars, uh, in, uh, particularly in the Shafi'i Madhab, that had uh, given the uh, advice that if it is for Aqiqa, then it's actually best to cook a pot of food rather than to give the meat to the poor and needy. Okay. So in other words, you take the meat of the Aqiqa and make a nice pot of mm. biryani or whatever food you want to make and then distribute the food to those uh, less fortunate people that you are aware of. Now the question, can you do it around Eid al-Adha time? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it doesn't have to be, uh, like I said, immediately after the birth of your child. Um, you can do it at any given time. So should it co coincide with the days of Eid al-Adha, no problem. Mm. Just make sure that when uh, the person is going to slaughter the animal, that you give him that particular information. Because the person who slaughters, if you're not going to do it your own self, he should make the proper intention. So when he's slaughtering the animal, the, the intention should be for the aqiqa of that particular child of yours and not for the normal qurbani. So that is all that you need to take into consideration, but it is allowed to do during that time as well. And I said, uh, uh, as I mentioned, some scholars recommended for aqiqa that you rather make a pot of food, whereas the qurbani meat is best just to give out the meat as is and not really to make food from it. And in both cases, it is sunnah for you to eat some of it as well and not to give away everything at least you get some barakah out of the animal that was slaughtered and you give most of it away to the poor and needy. So making a pot of, pot of food, uh, um, Sheikh, who, who, is, um, who should be the recipients of those? those the poor and the needy, the, those who are normally, that you would normally give your zakah or your sadaqah or your sadaqatul fitr to. And it's best to first look at your uh, close proximity around you, okay. you know, your family members first. Are there family members of yours that are very poor or that mm. they are in need? Then it's best to, to distribute it there first. Okay. And then afterwards you look uh, beyond that, you look in your community, your own immediate community. Neighbors, yeah. Your neighbors, etc. If there okay. are people like that, then you give to them. And then you can extend after that to any poor person mm. uh, that can obviously make use of, of the, the food or the meat uh, for that matter, if it is for the qurbani. Inshallah, we'll continue questions and answers uh, in our last segment just after this. Please do stay with us. Q&A, back in a moment. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah. Very good evening. Welcome back. Questions and answers. In studio, Sheikh Ibrahim was answering your questions on 47913. We also have our Facebook line if that's uh, preferred. Um, you can call us 
office hours 021 442 or just pop your question attention of a QA at number 2 Queen's Park Avenue in Salt River. That's where the studios are. So, Sheikh, we have another revert question. It reads Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh, here by us, he embrace Islam, Sheikh, married to my sister. Um, he's probably talking about a gentleman who married a sister who has who the, he has now embraced Islam. Um, have a wedlock child, don't salah and don't go to mosque on a Friday, Sheikh. But bits and pieces, I'm sure Sheikh can make, make Yeah, so the gist is clear. Um, yeah. uh, the revert issue and uh, the responsibilities of a revert uh, living up to that Muslim identity, I think that is what the question is about. Um, and I think uh, uh, I would separate two specific scenarios. If it is a revert that has recently embraced Islam, and they are not doing these things that you are saying, not making salah or not going for Jumu'ah and stuff like that, then I think uh, you know they need encouragement and they need support more than anything else. Because mm. it, it might be very overwhelming for them. They may feel that they don't know anything, which they obviously don't because there's so much to learn. And they may feel a bit uh, overpowered you know, with all these things that uh, they are required to do, etc. So if it is a new revert, then the best you should do at this moment is to obviously encourage make uh, you know arrangement for them to get go to classes special revert classes and you as a family also teach this new revert as much as you can whatever you can and remember teaching is not only by speaking and by preaching but it's also by example you know you live a good life in front of them show them what islam is so salah time comes you go and go to the masjid and take the person with encourage you know encourage them to do the right thing and to, to live that life of, of muslims on the other hand if it is somebody that has been muslim for a long time uh, and had opportunities to learn but still refuses really to live uh, a proper life uh, of a Muslim then obviously that is a problem because uh, now it means that they became Muslim but they don't really want to be a practicing Muslim so here uh, you have to obviously then uh, go in and uh, perhaps have a very serious uh, discussion with this person and explain the seriousness of not making salah especially not going to Jumu'ah I mean that is a, a major a major issue um, so uh, it should be told maybe the person don't know the seriousness of these things because it is quite possible people coming from another background they may not know all the details now sometimes mm. the problem is we take things for granted yeah we think that they should that they know or that they should know mm. but sometimes they really don't know so they may be Muslim for really five years but they really don't know what is expected so uh, we should then uh, sit them down and say, look, this is not correct what you are doing. You have to go to Jumu'ah, you have to. And then if your, your sister still feels uncomfortable with, uh, with the way things are going, then they should get a counselor, you know, mm. get a professional counselor, an imam, a sheikh, anybody close to them to come and speak to both of them and uh, try to understand why is this husband acting in this way. You embrace Islam. Surely you should know that you don't embrace Islam for a woman or for a marriage or for anything else. But you embrace Islam because you are convinced with it in your heart that it is a path that you want to follow. And once you've done that uh, particular step, taken that particular step, then you should live up to it, obviously. Uh, and we don't say that you are never going to make a mistake or that you're never going to. Even Muslims that are born also make mistakes. Mm. They also fall short. They also are neglectful sometimes. But we pick up the pieces and we carry on again. You know, We don't uh, become despondent or we don't feel uh, worthless if we've done something wrong. No, we rep repent, we, rep we re return to Allah, and this is what should be told. Sometimes mm. maybe this person feels that if he misses some salah now, he just feels so bad, he just doesn't want to do it again. Maybe he think Allah is not going to accept him, you know, because if he's left it for such a long time. So these are the kind of things that we must also explain to him, that if you are a Muslim even, a born Muslim, you are prone to still make mistakes, and you can still be neglectful. 
And Allah doesn't mind for that because mm. we have been created weak like that. We have our weaknesses. But what Allah expects from us is to at least return and to pick up the pieces and to acknowledge and to come back to Him. Mm. And this is the type of talk that must be given to Him. If He has been a, a long revert and still refuses, then of course it's a serious matter that mm. He needs to understand that He did not become Muslim just for a wife. But rather it is a, a life-changing experience. It should have been a life-changing experience for him where he is going to live a life now of fulfillment and devotion to the Creator Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inshallah, all the best. Approach it with love and patience. And how can anybody reject you if you are that patient with them? So all the best to them. Um, next one, Jesus. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I have, a, I have a little question, mashallah. I was taught that you can take hudu over your socks, acting like a, a type of hoofs. Is this possible? It is possible as long as the sock uh, is durable. And it has almost the qualities of the hoof. Mm -hmm. uh, simply because we know the understanding is that when you wipe over the hoof, there's no wetting of your feet. You know, you're wiping over the hoof, it's a convenience so that your feet doesn't get wet. But if it's ordinary socks where you're going to wet your feet while wiping over the hoof, then that's a problem because then it means you are in between wipe, wiping and washing. Mm -hmm. You know, so if it's a, if it's a sock that is uh, durable, you can walk on it, etc., then it's no problem. If it, and it, uh, according to many scholars, it must also be uh, a sock that water does not seep through it mm. as well, right? If it has those qualities, and you get socks like that, you get thick socks like that, that has the quality of a hoof. If that is the case, you can wipe over them. And remember the condition of wiping over a sock or over, over a hoof. Obviously, if the, if the sock is, uh, is durable and it has the qualities of a hoof or a leather sock, then you, you should remember you can only wipe over them after you've taken a complete hudu first, okay. including the washing of your feet. And once you have that hudu, you can then wear the sock. And when you need to take hudu after that, from that point onwards, you can obviously wipe over it. And you must also remember there's a time limit period how long you can wipe over it. If you are a non-traveler, you can only wipe over it for 24 hours. And if you are a traveler, then you can wipe over the sock or over the hoof for 72 hours, inshallah. Jazakallah, Sheikh. And I think we have uh, time for just one last question quickly. Um, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. I'm a widow and I want to know for how many days can I keep my ghusl? Yeah, the ghusl obviously only gets invalidated if there's a reason for, for it to be invalidated. Uh, so, of course, uh, a fard ghusl is needed when there was uh, intimacy, for example. You say you're a widow, so that doesn't happen. Uh, if you had uh, what we would call a dream where fluid had exited from your body, then obviously then you will also need a ghusl. Um, other than that, if none of those things happen to you, and of course, hayd, hayd is the other issue. If you don't get hayd any longer, then there's no issue. But every time that you get hayd, uh, then obviously you need to, to, to take a ghusl after the hayd has been completed. Um, so either between uh, intimacy and hayd and emission of any fluid from your body, uh, then of course that would uh, include for you to take a ghusl, a renewed ghusl. But if you are a widow and none of these things happen to you, then there's no, there's no reason for you to take a fart ghusl. But it would be sunnah for you to ghusl, let's say for Jumu'ah and for Eid and for for days like that, that would be sunnah. But the so then Sheikh is saying your ghusl can keep for... Yeah, of course, okay. absolutely. There's Ghus no unlim time limit. There's no time limit on okay. it. Because Mashallah. the only uh, thing that will invalidate a ghusl are those things are those that I mentioned. Okay. Other than that, you are not uh, in need of so taking... So you could be walking around with a ghusl for a month, for, in for fact? A, no problem. There's yeah. no issue okay. in that. Okay. Although the sunnah is, as I said, for Jumu'ah, if you're going to the mosque, to take yes. a sunnah ghusl, etc. Okay. That is obviously what is required uh, as a Muslim as well. Mashallah. A lovely question. So we've all learned from that. And uh, don't be afraid to ask any questions so that we can all benefit from it inshallah but the best thing is to do to go and seek knowledge for yourself from the cradle as they say 
to the grave. Jazakallah, Sheikh, once again, for uh, Sheikh's time. All the best until we meet again. Be well and safe as, as well. Shukran jazeelan to you and to our honorable listeners for tuning in once again. Until we meet in one week's time. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Jazakallah to Sheikh Ibrahim West. Remember, Sheikh does host uh, regular classes now and back in full swing for this uh, starting now the, the month of February, uh, mornings and evenings. So inquire at reception 021 From myself, Khawa Salaman, enjoy the rest of your weekend and you be safe as well. Wassalamu alaikum and goodbye for now.